Welcome to The View. Amen. Amen. Man, do you believe that the Lord is in this place tonight? That was weak. Do you believe God's presence is in this room right now? I believe that the Spirit of God is in this room right now. Do you remember when you first met Christ? Do you remember when you first found his love? And how good it was. And how often we forget how good he is. Guys, we have students up here every week who are sharing their personal story of how God has radically changed their life. If God has changed your life, make some noise tonight. These people that are cheering, that could be you. God wants to save everyone. How many of you know that? God does not discriminate the way people do. He does not discriminate by skin color. He does not discriminate by what your parents do for a living. He does not discriminate by how much money you make. He wants to save you. And he loves you. And I know that there's somebody here tonight who walked in. And man, you got pain. You got hurt. Man, you're going through stuff that you don't want anybody else to know because it hurts. You know, there's freedom in Jesus Christ. (laughs) You know, all you got to do is call out to God. You know why? When God shows up, good shows up. (laughs) You want to find that peace and joy is here. Hey, my name is Daniel Harris. I'm the college pastor of The View. And I want to tell you, if this is your first time here, thank you so much for coming tonight. Uh, We want to get to know you. Uh, You know, I hate when I go to a place, you know, something like this, and I fill out a card and nobody reaches out to me. We want to reach out to you. We want to get connected with you. We really do. Us, our staff, and one of our students wants to reach out to you and get to know you. All you have to do, if this is your first or second time, you stop back by the entrance bar. There's a big first-time guest banner. If you fill out a card, no strings attached, we'll reach out to you uh, this week to see how we can connect with you better. So if this is your first or second time, if you haven't filled out a card, please take the time to step back there and figure it out. Here at The View, we believe Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. We believe that there's many people who say there's many ways to heaven, but we believe Jesus says there's only one way. It's not church attendance. It's not dressing nice. It's not even being nice to people. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And I know that there's someone here who needs to make that decision tonight. That's the reason why God brought you here. You will have that opportunity. But what we believe here at The View is we want to see something called a college student-led revival. That's the whole reason why we did You Belong Here. It's the reason why we do Use Your Voice. It's the reason why we have life groups. It's the reason why we do campus ministry. As Hallie said, we do it every Monday, 11 to 1 at Memphis, 12 to 1 at CBU and Southwest. We'd love to have any of you there. Doesn't matter how long you've been a believer, we'd love to have you at campus ministry. Everything we do is to see a college student-led revival right here in Memphis, Tennessee. Because we want to reach 7% of Memphis. 7% of Memphis. Could we do that here? I mean, we got, we're lined up out the door. We got college students in here that are on fire for Jesus Christ. I believe that we can reach 7% of the city of Memphis. And the reason why I'm saying that is because there's 652,000 people in the city of Memphis. You know what 7% of that number is? 45,000. 7% of Memphis is 45,000, which is exactly the amount of college students here in the Memphis area. So when we get on fire for Christ, revival will break out as it has already started. And we would love to have you be a part of it. No matter who you are, 
You're welcome here at The View. We're glad that you're here. If you have your Bibles, open up with me to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to move around a little bit. We're going to do Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, and then 1 Peter. Right now, if you'll just go to Genesis chapter 1, we're continuing our Use Your Voice sermon series. In this sermon series, we've talked about how Jesus is the living word. We talked talk the week next about can we trust the Bible? Is it reliable? Last week, we talked about how the need to share our faith and how we can practically do that. And now tonight, for the next three weeks, we're going to move to more topical sermons. We're going to hit on big issues that we're facing in America over the next three weeks. And I'm so glad so many of you are here tonight, an incredible group. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Genesis chapter 1 is where we're going to land tonight. I don't know about you, but February, this is the time when my diet starts back. Anybody starting their diet back? <laughs> I'll be honest, man. Every winter, thank you for being honest. <laughs> There's more. There's more. Man, every winter I put on 10 pounds. I can't help it. I just put on 10 pounds. The Reese's peanut butter cups come out at Valentine's Day, and I just can't help myself. I stack them on top of each other, make three of them jokers. Delicious. You know what I'm saying? It's delicious. I do it every winter. Now it's time to get back right. I'm packing my diet. It's my fitness pal time. And my fitness pal has no problem reminding you you haven't logged today. No problem. Hey, I want to invite a friend up on stage real quick. I'm going to invite Alex Salas to come on up here. Alex, where you at? Come on up here, brother, man. You stand right over here. Yes, sir. A lot of y'all know Salsa. Salsa's a good-looking guy, man. Uh, that hair, though. Yeah, that hair, though. Oh, my gosh. Go sit down. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Salsa, man, let me ask you a question. Uh, you work out, right? I do. You work out. Yeah. You probably you don't have to worry about barely, right? Less a little bit. You, uh, you do something uh, that I don't do called CrossFit, right? Absolutely. Anybody does CrossFit in here? Right? I know, yeah, he did CrossFit. Yeah, like 1%. <laughs> 1% of us does CrossFit. That's good to know. I'm in the majority. Uh, Man, you work out, you do CrossFit, man. I went to one of Salsa's competitions not too long ago. I went to one of the competitions. I was there, and I was watching this, this competition that he was in. And it's a different world out there. Uh, I don't know how to speak their language. I'll just be honest with you. I really don't. I mean, they're talking about different muscle groups. They're talking about competitions and competing and rules and stuff like that. And I really don't know much about that world at all. Like, I don't do CrossFit. So I don't know how to talk CrossFit things. Salsa, let me ask you a question. If I came to your competition, I show up. And I step into your world, and I try to coach you. <laughs> he said, ooh. <laughs> if I come and I show up and I start trying to coach you through doing certain CrossFit things, I'm going to struggle, aren't I? A little bit. <laughs> A lot. <laughs> you see, I'm not really going to know how to coach Salsa. I don't understand the world that he's in. And honestly, if I just showed up one day without listening and learning first and learning about your world, what would happen is, one, I'm not going to be able to make an impact. But two, you're going to consider me, if you're honest, a little arrogant, wouldn't you? I mean, if I show up and I'm like, hey, man, let me coach you in CrossFit. When, you, when that's your world, but I haven't stopped and listened to you, you would consider me a little bit arrogant, right? Just a little bit. And the reason why is a truth I want you to understand before we even kickstart the night is this right here. I want you to write this down. Listen to this right here. Don't, don't go to your paper yet. Listen. Being uninformed leads to being unimpactful. Because I'm uninformed about the world of CrossFit, if I go and try to make an impact, I'm going to be very unimpactful in the world of CrossFit. Okay, okay. Make some noise for Salsa. 
And I think, how in the world do you start a sermon off where you're talking about gender and sexuality, huge issues that our nation faces? And that's the way the Lord really led me to starting this thing off. Guys, the reason why Christians have such a hard time reaching the other side when it comes to issues like gender and sexuality is because oftentimes we're uninformed. And Christians that are uninformed will always be Christians that are unimpactful. You see, we're trying to step into other people's worlds without understanding and listening first. And that's why we have such a bad reputation amongst communities in the world. You see, we're trying to, grow to, we're trying to go to Salsa's CrossFit world and coach him without listening and learning first. If he's going to consider me arrogant without learning about CrossFit, what do you think the LGBTQ community is going to think if we step into their world and start trying to shove truth in their faith without listening and learning first? We look arrogant. We do. You see, the first step to making a stand, Kate, is first seeking to understand. God bless you. The first step to making a stand has to be seeking to understand. It's a truth that I think that we miss oftentimes. Now, we know what we believe, but we don't study the other, what the other side believes. We know that there is a divide in our nation and on our college campuses. We know that there are people, even here tonight, and we're glad that you're here. If you disagree with me, please don't leave. We're thankful you're here. Seriously, we really are. I'm not going to beat anybody up tonight, I promise. And we know that there's a divide. There's people who support homosexual marriage and gender transformation, and we know biblically that we disagree, but we don't take time to understand how to communicate truth to the other side. We have to seek to understand. Now, the title of the sermon is Gender and Sexuality. Very straightforward. You can write that down at the top of your notes. I'm going to give you good, solid truth from the Word tonight about very hot topic issues. My prayer is that you would take this from Genesis and 1 Peter, that you would take this. I hope, one, that it will, if you are on the other side and do support homosexuality and gender transformation, I would love to have a conversation with you more in depth. But for Christians, I would love to equip you tonight so that you know how to go to your college campus and speak up, so that you can be informed, which leads to being impactful. Now, you won't know everything after this sermon we're not mad at anybody. We're not mad at anybody that does support homosexuality. We're not mad at anybody. We don't hate anybody. That's certainly not our game. What we do stand on is biblical truth. We don't stand on this is not Daniel Harris's opinion. Uh, this is not some random college student's opinion. What we believe is what the Bible says and is what I'm going to give you tonight. Now, there's a label in America that says if you are Christian, if you, su if you don't support homosexuality, if you don't support gender transformation, you're hateful and you're unloving. And you need to understand as a Christian that that label is on you. Is it true? Is it true that, that we are hateful and unloving? Is that label hold up, Will? Is that true? For some people it is. For I won't front. I'll be honest with you. There are some Christians that are hateful and unloving. But listen to me. Just because you get a basket of apples and pick one rotten one out doesn't mean the whole basket's rotten. <laughs> And if you do label the whole basket as rotten and throw it away, you might be missing out on a whole lot of good apples. Just because one Christian mistreats you doesn't mean the whole Christian population will. And if you label us all off because of one bad apple, you might miss an incredible basket of good, Christ-loving people. Don't throw us off. 
Where this happened, though, is that in 2013, I want you to understand where this came from. This hateful label emerged in 2013 when the Supreme Court struck down the DOMA. It was the Defense of Marriage Act. They struck it down in 2013, claiming that marriage is not just one man and one woman. In doing this, though, they, they made a claim in doing this. When they did this in 2013, they did not just claim that people who don't support same-sex marriage are wrong. They were making that claim, but it wasn't just that claim. The claim they made is that if you don't support same-sex marriage, you are hateful and unloving, and that is the reason why we need to reverse this. And so that label has been on us now for a good while. And as Christians, it's our job to seek to remove that label while not sacrificing any biblical truth we stand on. Amen? Today, Christians have been painted in a very bad corner. The Holy Spirit of God wants to get us out of that corner. You know why? Because God loves the people that struggle with same-sex attraction just as much as he loves you. God loves the other side just as much as he loves this side. In fact, God believes that there could be a way that there is no divide, that we would be one. But it's going to come through the Holy Spirit of God intervening. Now, I want you to understand this. Amongst Christians, the, the biblical understanding of marriage has been compromised. There's many Christians who don't know what the Bible says regarding marriage, regarding gender. In fact, 51% of Christian millennials said that same-sex behavior is morally acceptable. Guys, that's over half of our age group that says same-sex behavior is morally acceptable. The truth is the Bible says differently. Now, we're going to work our way through this sermon, and I do pray that you will be open to what the Holy Spirit has for you. Look with me at Genesis 1, verse 27. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. We're reading from the creation account in early Genesis. It says, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Will you pray with me real quick? Heavenly Father, I do lift up to you anyone in the room that would disagree with me. God, I pray that there would be no hate or no unloving talk out of my mouth. But Father, that is not our goal tonight. Father, our goal tonight is to hear from you. And we, God, we know that coming from you, it's love, it's mercy, but it's justice, it's righteousness. Father, I do pray for all of us tonight. We rebuke the devil in the name of Jesus. God, we know that the devil hates the biblical truth we want to share tonight. God, we know that the devil hates what's happening in this place, and we rebuke him. In the name of Jesus, Father, would you open up our hearts and our minds to your word tonight? God, for us Christians, would you remind us of when we repented of our sins and got saved for the first time? And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Number one, what is God's design for men and women? Two subpoints to follow. What is God's design for men and women? We have to begin to talk about the individual. Before we get to marriage, we have to understand you, who you are, who you were created to be, man and woman. Now, the first sub-point I want to give you from this, I hope that you're taking notes because this is very important. A, 
God's design is for your identity to be in Christ. God's design is for your identity to be in Christ. And we're going to flesh this idea out a lot. We're really going to get down to the nuts and bolts of this. Your identity to be in Christ. A lot of you are taking notes. I love to see that. Thank you. What's sad, if I can be completely real with you tonight, I just, I don't want to preach to you. I just want to talk to you about the word. What's really sad, and I still see you in the back, overflow seating. I see you guys. What's really sad is that many Christians spend their whole life never finding their identity in Christ. It's sad. They do. Many Christians. I'm speaking to Christians right now. There are many Christians who never find their identity in Christ. Even some of you probably, if you're a strong believer, I'm a pastor, I tell you, I struggle with it right now. You probably some days wake up and wonder, man, who am I? Like, for real. Like, am I just what my parents raised me as? Like, am I just the place I was born in? Like, who am I and what was I made to do? Who was I made to become? We ask these questions subconsciously, but oftentimes we're afraid to ask them out loud because of what other people will think. Let me tell you something. Worrying about what other people will think will only get you in a dark place. How many of you know that? Man, like you will die on a cross for people's opinions. That's a very poor cross to die on. Your identity is so important, and you can find it. You can find your identity in Christ. God, and I need you to understand this, God made you in his image. You were made to reflect God. The problem many Christians run into, Ali, is that we want to reflect the world. We would rather be honest. Image is also perception. We would rather, we would rather f- f- reflect, ugh, reflect success and money and popularity, a certain social media stance. We would rather be seen as someone who is intellectual, as someone who is spiritual. There's Christians who spend their whole lives just trying to prove to other Christians how Christian they are. And that wasn't in my notes. I don't know who that's for tonight. That's for somebody. It might be for me. I mean, seriously, goodness gracious. It's a bigger picture than that. Your identity is made to reflect God Almighty. Listen to me. If your identity is not based in Christ, it's based on circumstances. And an identity based on circumstances will always lead you to an identity crisis. (laughs) Always. It always will. Because people change, your mom and dad change, money changes, your clothes change, everything changes. The only way to avoid an identity crisis is to put your identity in Christ. It's the only way. You've got to take your identity, your soul, and root it to God Almighty. Because He never changes. How many of you have a friend that changes by the day? <laughs> Man, changes by, their mood changes. They change this way. They flip-flop that way. They feel all kind of ways. Look at me. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. <laughs> Jesus Christ never changes. I hear you right now. I hear you. I want to align my spirit up with the room. I hear you right now. I know you're saying, Daniel, how? Like practically, you hear this in the church all the time, put my identity in Christ. But what does it really mean to put my identity in Christ? How do you really do that? Watch this. Define it. You have to define identity to understand how. Identity is the character and personality of an individual. It is the character and personality of an individual. This is your identity. 
It's so simple. It's not mind-blowing, but when it clicks, it is mind-blowing. The character and personality of an individual. Now, remember, God's plan for you. We've been talking about every week. God's plan for you. You want to know what his plan is? You want to know what you're supposed to do? God's plan is to make you more like Jesus Christ. Every day you wake up, God's looking for ways to make you look more like his son. Everywhere you go, you want to know what God wants you to do? (laughs) Do what Jesus did. Which means, practically, every day that you wake up, in order to have an identity that is in Christ, that means your character and your personality have to resemble that of Jesus Christ. (laughs) To really, watch, really take your identity and put it in Christ, that means your character, who you are when nobody's looking, your personality, how you treat people, resembles Jesus Christ. Not your mom, not your dad, not your friends. Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this, Christians. When people look at your life, when they look at your character and your personality, do they see Jesus Christ? Is that what they see? Or do they see Daniel Harris? Do they see Paul Jones? The words that come out of your mouth, do they hear Jesus-esque words? Or do they hear Judas-esque words? The actions you choose to commit, do they see Jesus-esque actions or Peter-esque actions? Chopping somebody's ear off, denying Jesus three times. If the curtain was really pulled back, guys, on your life, your actions, would they see Jesus Christ? You're a mirror. You reflect. I know we know what mirrors are in here because we all look in them. (laughs) I've seen guys walk through the parking lot and check themselves out in the car window reflection before. (laughs) I mean, we know what mirrors are. You know what's crazy about a car reflection? About a mirror? It only reflects that which is close to it. (laughs) I stand 30 feet away from the car. It's not going to reflect my image. But when I get up close, it's going to reflect me. You see, the only way to reflect Jesus Christ is to be close enough to him. (laughs) You see, we're trying to reflect Christ. We're 30 feet away from him. We ain't reading the word. We ain't praying. We are not, our identity is in Christ because we're not close enough to identify with him. But when you do, when you pray, when you read, when you meditate on scripture, when you share Jesus, when you do loving things to other people, your character and your personality begin to resemble Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden, you have your identity. All of a sudden, you're not so up and down. You're not so affected by life because your rooted identity is in a Messiah who never changes. Question is, do you want that tonight? Do you want your identity to be in Jesus Christ? It's a question I have to ask myself every single day I wake up. Every single day. It's just as hard for me as a pastor to get in this word as it is for you. Did you hear what I just said? Some pastors will never say that. It's just as hard for me to get in this in the morning as it is for you. Human being, flesh, me. You know what I understand? I used to coach basketball five years, hot hands. What I understood is that I love Penny Hardaway. And if I want my game, my coaching strategies to resemble that of Penny Hardaway, I'm going to have to put some time into studying his playbook. If you want to be a Christian and have the same Jesus S strategy, you got to put some time into studying his playbook. <laughs> Otherwise, we just out here coaching with no game plan. <laughs> we just going off to our coattails. We're just making decisions based off of emotions. We're just making decisions based off of how we feel. 
have a game plan. It's right here. It's the word of God. That's how you can put your identity into it. This all leads us to gender, which I know is a hard issue to talk about. But just as I've been pushing you all to use your voice on your college campuses, my conviction as a 26-year-old pastor is to use my voice for something hard like this. B is your body to belong to Christ. You put your identity into Christ, and in B, your body belongs to Christ. In the image of God, he created them male and female. I want you to understand tonight, and I know that you won't hear this many places else, but your identity is not in your gender but your gender does reflect your identity. It's not in your gender, but your gender reflects your identity because God created you with a purpose in mind. God doesn't make any accidents, amen? He created you so that your gender would reflect your character and your personality. Your gender almost hints at who you are. In America, we begin to assume that the gender we are born with does not contribute to our identity. Can I tell you, that's a very disrespectful way to view the body. I hope you hear what I'm saying. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. To say that our gender does not have any effect over our identity is a very disrespectful way to view the body. It is. Our gender does contribute. I know there are those struggling. You'll often hear them say with gender that they feel trapped in the wrong body. I know that that's an issue that we have. It's a real issue. It's called gender dysphoria, when you feel like you're born in the wrong body. And from my studying, there's no clear scientific evidence that has been found linking this to a hormonal cause, which means gender dysphoria is not something necessarily that you are born with. It's something that, that happens, oftentimes from circumstances, from tragedies. We look around, we have bad things happen in the world to good people. People just going on their way, some bad things happen, and it causes issues like this. But the transgender movement, college students, and our nation does raise a big question. It raises the question that do we accept or reject the basic biological identity as male and female? I want you to write that down. I don't, I don't think that's on the screen, but I'll give it to you one more time. The transgender movement raises the question, do we reject or accept our basic biological identity as male and female? Do we accept it or do we reject it? And the reason that Satan attacks people's genders, and man, I need you to get this one. The reason, why people attack, the reason why Satan attacks people's gender is the same reason he attacks our image. Yes, our image is our body, but it's also the perception of others. He attacks the image. Look at me. He attacks the image to really attack the identity. He comes at you on the outside to hit you on the inside. Satan, if he can get you to doubt how God made you on the outside... He can get you to doubt how God made you on the inside. If he can get you to doubt how God made you on the outside, 
then he can get you to start doubting how God made you on the inside. It's also my taking a picture. I'm so sorry. I feel like I'm in the way, like ducking and dodging. <laughs> Don't let him attack your image. Did you ever, uh, back in the day, watch the Mission Impossible movies? Right? Anybody see those? Tom Cruise. Yeah, my best friend, Corey O'Hara, looks just like Tom Cruise. It's crazy. Some of y'all know Corey. I, uh, he does. Yeah. Same height, too. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, the Mission Impossible movies, there was always this one thing. Can we put the picture on the screen? There's this one thing. Look at this picture right here. Uh, this is Tom Cruise with the long hair. I'm not even sure which movie this is. But watch this. He, uh, what he's doing on this glass is, you know, and they would do this in cartoons. You know, they would often do this. They do it in movies. They do it in cartoons. He would uh, make incisions on the glass and go all the way around to make a circle. And then he would oftentimes, so on the cartoons, they would, you know, push, and the thing would fall in. And he's got a suction cup, I think, and he's going to pull. And it takes the glass right off. If you cut a big enough circle, it takes the glass right off. And then what Tom Cruise does in the movies, just like in the cartoons, is he goes inside, and that's when he's able to rob and steal and mess up things and corrupt and all these kind of different things once he breaks inside. It's a simple image. But students, I could not give you a clearer picture of what spiritual warfare is like every day that you go through attacks. Every day Satan is attacking you. What he's doing is he's making incisions on the outside of you. He's making incisions against your image every single day. He's trying to make that complete circle. Whenever you hear a whisper in your ear of, you don't have worth. He's just making incisions. You don't have value. That girl has a better body than you do. That person has a better family. There's no way you could do anything ministry related. Your past will keep you from future ministry. He just keeps going and going and going. Anytime he tells you you're no good, God doesn't love you, the people in your life don't love you, they don't have your best interests at heart, he just keeps going. And you keep buying those lies. Every time you and I buy those lies, he just keeps going and going in a circle. And if you buy those lies long enough, he makes it all the way around, he comes up and he goes, and that glass falls in, and then what Satan does is Satan steps inside, and now because he's attacked your image, he has access to your identity. And he corrupts, he steals, he cheats, he lies, he messes you up because he hates God, and he hates you. He breaks inside to demolish everything God has given you. But when you put your identity in Christ, every time he comes up to that glass and tries to whisper a lie in your ear, he cannot make an incision. He cannot go around the circle. He keeps trying and trying and trying, but God says, no, sir. You can't put an incision on this glass if Jesus Christ is involved with this glass. That is a bulletproof glass. When your identity is in Christ, he can't get to you. And sometimes he'll attack the people around you just because he can't get to you. That's how spiritual warfare goes. But when you buy those lies, he just keeps on going, keeps on going, and then eventually... And that's where some of you are tonight. Some of you feel that incision going around on your exterior, on your image, on your perception, on who you are. You feel Satan doing it, and you just let it happen. Some of you already know, man, I walked inside tonight, and the glass was already out. I lied. So Satan's already just, just corrupting everything inside of me. What you need to do, you need to come to Jesus, fall at his feet, pray scripture, know that God is with you. Isaiah 41.10 says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God, your personal God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
and Satan can't get you. I know the Lord is speaking to somebody right now. Don't miss what the Holy Spirit's saying to you. And the Holy Spirit's got a word for you right now. He's got a word for me. He's talking to somebody tonight. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Turn one page to Genesis chapter 2. Should be one page. If you have big lettering, maybe it's two. I don't know. I don't want to lie to you. Like, ah, turn five pages. We're a liar. <laughs> for me, it was one page. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. This is why, it's verse 24 says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. Number two, what is God's design for marriage? Number two, a question as well, what is God's design for marriage? <laughs> and the first sub-point I'm going to give you is A, sex is for marriage. Sex is for marriage. A very big issue that many people disagree on, if I'll just be honest with you. If you go to University of Memphis, at least I know because I went there, you're going to have a hard time going around campus, as Hallie told us earlier, and finding people that agree with you on this issue. Uh, how you view your body matters. I need you to hear me. How you view your body that God gave you, that matters. In 1859, when Charles Darwin published his theory of evolution, when he published his theory of evolution, there began to be a separation of body and soul. I need you to get this. In 1859, a separation began between the body and the soul. What happened was this killed the value of the body in our eyes. Because if the body is separate from the person, then what you do with your body sexually has no connection to who you are as a whole person. If the body and the person are separate, then sex can be purely physical and separate from love. It has nothing to do with love or family or marriage. And that's why now today we live in an over-sexualized culture. Everywhere you go, you see sex. Every song you listen to, you hear sex. Every person you talk to in your college class, the conversations oftentimes go back to sex. Again, it is an over-sexualized culture. You cannot, there is not, I'm almost convinced, there's not a single Netflix original show you can watch that does not have sex in it. <laughs> every single one is, every single one, I have yet to see it. Like there's some shows on there like Lost, which is a great show. Top five, in my opinion, probably number one of all time. Like, you can watch it. It's not as bad. That was 2004. You watch a show on Netflix special that comes out in 2020, you will see full-blown pornography in these Netflix shows. You know why? Because we live in an over-sexualized culture that does not view the body as very high value. It started in 1859 with Charles Darwin's theory of evolution. The culture began to shift a little bit. The culture says it won't affect your heart and mind. You know as well as I do, that is simply not true. That is simply not true. This just came to my mind. How you treat a car on the outside can certainly affect what happens on the inside of the car. Uh, what you do with your body will affect everything about you on the inside. It will. And I'm not talking about homosexuality. I'm just talking about sex before marriage. I'm talking about lustful thoughts before marriage. When you don't control your thoughts. 
when you don't control your eyes, what you view on that device you have, that full-blown internet device you always have access to. That's what I'm talking about. Did you know that young girls are being pushed to be sexually active but detach their feelings from sex as fast as they can? Cosmos Magazine advises women that the way to wow a man after sex is to ask for a ride home after. (sighs) I actually said that, for real. That the way to wow a man after sex is to ask for a ride home after. Implying that there is no emotional, spiritual attach. (laughs) That it is a, uh, well, let me keep going. Children's television workshop defines sex to kids as something done by two adults to give pleasure. It describes sex literally as the exchange of goods between two unrelated people. Kids are being taught that about their bodies. That there should be no emotional, physical attachment. Hey, Rob, nothing. None. No mention of marriage, no mention of love, no mention of family. But biblically, sexuality is part of the whole person. The purpose of sex biblically is to express a one flesh covenant bond of marriage and love. I need to keep going. God created you as one unified being, meaning your body and your soul are one. So stop letting the culture make you devalue your body. Stop letting it happen. Lecrae said in his book, His first book he wrote, he said in his book, many of y'all know Lecrae. He said before he was saved, he went to a Christian conference. This was his quote. It'll be on the screen. The conference speaker said our bodies were valuable. He said, I never connected spirituality and sexuality before. I had never had someone tell me how valuable me and my body is. He had never heard it. Ever. People are walking around thinking the Bible is anti-sex. You know, God's the one that created sex, right? The Bible's not anti-sex. I need you to understand, the body, the the Bible is pro-body. It's pro-body. It's you valuing your body that God has given you. It's you valuing the thoughts that you allow to streamline through your mind. It's you valuing that and saying, I'm going to live differently. I don't want to live this way because nobody enjoys living in sexual sin. Nobody enjoys it. We just want freedom from it. We want to be free from it. And I know that there's people in this room who are sexually active but are not married. If you are a girl in a relationship with a guy, you need boundaries. You need boundaries. I know you may think I'm too strong. I would never fall. If you're a guy, you may think, I would never fall. I would never do that. I've been, I've been all through the church. I know so much scripture. I got all the Genesis memorized, Daniel. I know this whole sermon better than you do. <laughs> you need boundaries. Until you make that decision, nothing will change. I know that there's people, man, and this isn't in my notes. I know this is for somebody tonight. I know there's people addicted to this every night, every morning. You're sacrificing intimacy for imagery. And imagery always kills intimacy. But there's freedom. That's why the gospel is called good news. You showed up to a place that's filled with good news. There's hope. There's freedom. You deserve to die on the cross for your sins. But guess what? There was a man who came down who was fully God and took your replacement on that cross. (laughs) 
that your hands don't have to experience nails going through them because Jesus let them go through his. When you call out to him, there's freedom. There's freedom, but you got to decide to want it. It's never, ever too late to receive Christ's forgiveness for sin. It's never too late. The devil keeps on making you think it's too late. It's never too late to receive God's grace for your, for your sins. Never too late. Never too late. And B, marriage is one man and one woman. This is not Daniel's opinion. This is not Jacob's opinion. This is not Dakota's opinion. This is not Bellevue's opinion. I'm not mad at anybody. I just I got to tell you what the Bible says. I have to use my voice as a pastor. Marriage is one man and one woman. But most people in church don't understand why the Bible teaches that homosexuality is wrong. Most Christians don't understand. But what we see is that, and I hope that you understand what I'm saying right now up here is so countercultural. Like what you're hearing tonight is so different from what the culture is going to tell you. Don't just take my word for it. Go find out. Go find out in this book, Genesis 2.24. But biologically, physiologically, males and females are counterpart to each other. That's how the human sexual and reproductive system is designed. And most people assume that you are born gay. That's something that I believe for a while. But as I said about gender, there, right now, there's no scientific evidence that shows that you are born that way. And if you struggle with this, with this, you're not alone. And I know there are those in the room that struggle with same-sex attraction. You're not alone. Did you know that of heterosexual people, 25% of men, of men claim same-sex attraction and 50% of women claim same-sex attraction? Of heterosexual people. It's a sin just like people that are addicted to lying. It's a sin just, just like people are addicted to stealing. The answer for someone who struggles with same-sex attraction is not any different than the person who struggles with anger. You need Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only answer. And we see here Christians, we make it out like those who struggle with same-sex attraction are aliens. Like they're weird, like they're different. No, they're, they're, they're in sin just like you and I are in sin. And that's why we, we are not called to bully. We're not called to be hateful. We're not called to be unloving to people. But we're called to speak truth. The Bible says in Romans 1 verse 26 and 27 that for this reason God delivered them over to disgraceful passions, Paul says. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men in the same way also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men. So how in the world... Do you, as a 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25 year old college age, master's age student in 2020, how do you use your voice? Number three, my last one, how do Christians respond to people who disagree? We're landing the plane right here. How do people resp- how do Christians respond to people who disagree? What is our approach? What do we say? How do we say it? How do we know all this truth we've been given? Now, practically, where do we go? Uh, A is to use your voice in love and for truth. 
You cannot give up one of those two. Hear me. A is use your voice in love and for truth. I don't think it'll be on the screen. Use your voice in love and for truth. 1 Peter chapter 3 says, Who is there to harm you if you are eager for what is good? Even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you will be blessed. So have no fear of man, nor be troubled. But in your heart, honor Christ as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it, watch, with gentleness and respect. And having a good conscience. So that when you are, not if, when you are slandered for your good behavior in Christ, those who revile you will be put to shame. In love and for truth. Too many Christians are hateful and unloving to those who support homosexuality, but hatred will never produce heavenly results. Hatred will never produce heavenly results. Hatred can only produce hell-like results. <laughs> I know you remember when you were a kid and you sneaked through the house to the kitchen at night to get a snack. I did it all the time in my house. I stubbed my toe plenty of times because it was dark. I'd sneak in there. I'd get me a snack. It's part of the reason why I had to go on several diets in high school. <laughs> Kept stacking them Reese's. <laughs> and I know that you remember when you would get to your kitchen. For me, when I would get to my kitchen, it would be very dark. I couldn't see by the time that I got to my kitchen looking for a snack. And so one time I tried to open the window. But when I opened the window, I remembered that there's no light outside. <laughs> Say, Daniel, man, you sound a little slow. <laughs> Where's the sun? I opened up the window and realized that that did not help. But when I went to the refrigerator, I always open it up. And guess what happens? That light shines so bright. In other words, uh, trying to fix uh, darkness with more darkness will never add light. <laughs> <laughs> you understand that I have to open up the fridge, which is the light, in order for me to see what I am trying to do. In other words, I wrote this down. Responding to darkness with more darkness can only make things darker. But opening the fridge of light illuminated everything. In other words, responding to sin with hatred will only make sin darker. But responding with the love of Christ can illuminate everything. What good does opening a window do at night if it's dark in the kitchen? In the words of Martin Luther King Jr., darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. In other, other words, hate cannot drive out hate. Only light can do that. He said, Daniel, how do I open up the fridge? How do I really open up the light and love people? Well, you got to open up the book of life. <laughs> you got to open this up and let it shine just as bright as the refrigerator does at night. That's what happens. When you're in this, when you know this, when you live this, you're a walking open refrigerator. <laughs> You're a walking light of love. But we're sitting here trying to hate people through their sin. It'll never, it'll never ever work. It only produces hell-like results. But there's a flip side to this coin, and if you're a Christian, consider this your moment. If you're a Christian, you love people, but you cannot sacrifice truth. You can't do it. Your call is to stand 
on this truth, no matter the persecution you face, Seth, no matter what people say, and it's hard. Believe me, I know it's hard. You think it was easy for Hallie? It's hard. It's difficult. But you've got to tell people the truth. When you're in class and someone agrees with homosexuality, you've got to tell them why you don't. Jesus said, deny me and I will deny you before the Father. If you really believe it, you've got to stand up for truth. You have to. Consider this your moment. God has given me the authority as the pastor to communicate, to simply, I'm just a communicator, to simply communicate this truth to you that you will this year, maybe this semester, you will have an opportunity, Christian, where you are engaged in a conversation, Ashley, with someone who struggles with homosexuality or supports it. And God will call on you to stand up. You don't know everything tonight, but you know how to stand up. You know how to speak out. And I know there's people in the room that are struggling with this, with gender and with sexuality. We want to talk to you. We want to help you. And we're not, we're not going to ask you to look at us. I'm going to do an invitation for Jesus in a minute. But if you do struggle with gender and sexuality, you want to talk to someone, you have questions, all you've got to do is text your name to that phone number we keep putting on the screen. It's going to come up right now. We'll show it again during the closing. It's 901-734-4641. If you are someone that is struggling with gender and sexuality, all you have to do is text this number at some point, and we will counsel you through this. We can talk to you. We'll love on you. We won't be mean to you. And let me tell you something. If any Christian mistreats you in here, you come and tell me. You come and tell the pastor. And we'll handle that situation in love, too. But there's so many people in the room, too. To be honest, as I talked about all this thing with Jesus Christ and locking with me, this is so important, Victoria. There's people in the room that don't know Jesus Christ, Michelle. There's people in the room who talked about, I talked about this identity idea, this putting your faith in him, this, that your character and personality has to resemble that of a 2,000-year-old Middle Eastern rabbi. And you're like, What? You want me to identify with a Middle Eastern rabbi, Elizabeth? I do. I think the Bible, the best decision you can make is give your life to Jesus. God loves you. But college student, he doesn't love everything you do. Lock in. You got to make the decision. The Bible says when you repent of your sins and call out on Jesus, you're saved forever. When you confess him as your Lord and Savior, you're saved forever. Well, until you step out and make that decision, you're going to keep going down that path. But what I know is that there's people in this room, even in the back, who know God brought them here tonight for a reason. It's to give your life to Jesus Christ. And I want to give you an opportunity now. Let's bow our heads in this moment. All heads are bowed. Nobody's looking around. Nobody's on their phone. And the greatest news in the world is that you don't have to die for the sins you've committed. That you have a hope. And you can know Jesus. I made the decision at 21 years old. I still remember 
where and when I got saved. I haven't mentioned it in a while because I felt like I was saying it too much. But I got saved. I gave my life to Jesus Christ as a 21-year-old college student while laying face down on the ground at a public park at midnight. I was broken. I was lonely. I was hurting. I had nothing. I had absolutely nothing in my life that was worth anything. And I got to this breaking point. You know, sometimes God's just pushing you to a breaking point so that he can grab you, save you, change you, and build you up. And maybe tonight's the night for you. Maybe tonight's your night. Because what I did is I laid down on that ground and I, I repented of my sins. I said, God, I, I give you my sin. I'm so sorry for my sin. I have lied. I have cheated. I've been rude to people. I have sinned. And God, there is nothing that I can do for my sin. There's Nothing I can do about my sin, but you did. Jesus Christ came down on this earth. He was God. He was fully God, fully man. He walked this earth. He loved people. He cared for people. He healed people. He didn't divide people. He loved them. He called for all of us to unite and to accept him. We chose to divide because some of us accepted him and some of us, some of us rejected him. That's why we have racism. That's why we have hate in our nation, in our world, because we reject Jesus. But you can accept him tonight. You got to make that decision. Nobody can make it for you. The person next to you can't make it. Your mom can't make it. Your dad can't make it. Your friends can't make it. You have to make that choice. And when you do, it's the absolute greatest decision you could ever make. You repent of your sins. You call out on God. If that's you tonight and you want to pray something like that, pray this right here. Say, dear God, the words don't save you, but meaning in your heart does. You say, dear God, thank you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for caring about me. Thank you for giving me life. God, I repent of my sin. God, I believe that you resurrected from the grave. I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to save me right now. God, save me. Save me. If that's you in the room, all heads are bowed. Nobody's looking around. It's just you and me. If that's you in the room, if you prayed that or you want to or if you just have questions, you need to talk to somebody. I'm not going to ask you to come up here. All I'm going to ask you to do in this moment is just look up at me and make eye contact wherever you are. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. If that's you and you have questions, keep looking at me for me. If you have questions, if you just prayed that or you want to talk to someone, look up at me. Make sure I can see you. I see you. I see you. Right now, look up at me. Make sure you can make eye contact. If that's you, you have questions, you want to talk to somebody, you just prayed that, you want to talk more, look up at me right now. You can take a stand in this place. Ain't nobody looking around. It's just you and me. If that's you in this moment, just look up at me right now so I can see you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I can feel the Spirit saying that there's one more. There's one more in here who knows. Maybe you just have questions, but you need to look up. I'll give you one last chance. If that's you, just look up at me right now, wherever you are. I see you. Yes, sir. 
I see you. Right now, for those that looked up at me, can you look up at me right now? I see you. I see you. Yes, sir. I see you. For y'all, you don't have to come up here. Nobody's looking around. What we want to do is we want to talk to you. We want to answer questions. We have some leaders that can counsel with you and can help you. Uh, all I'm asking you to do is real simple. It'll be real quick. Is if you wouldn't mind just standing up and slipping out to the back. We have leaders back there who will grab you. Would that be okay? Okay, you can go ahead and stand up and slip back there. You can go ahead and stand up and slip back there. Okay, we'll come grab you. You can go ahead and stand up. You'll slip back right there. You can go with her if you want to. Mm -hmm. You can go with you. Yeah, you can slip back right there. If you looked up at me and you wanted to go to the back, you can slip back there when worship starts. You can slip back there at any point. Come and find us. Come and talk to us. Ashley, let's jump in right here. Everyone else in the room, I'm assuming you're a Christian. <laughs> then you know what that means, Christians. It's our time to stand up in love for truth, to use our voice for God. When you go out those doors tonight, you are equipped. You are ready. You can be empowered and spirit-filled. And I would encourage you to be ready. Because God brought you here tonight to equip you. He didn't equip you for nothing. He brought you here tonight because he's going to send you someone that needs you. Heavenly Father, God, we call out on your name and we thank you for these students who have just gone to the back. God, we thank you that you are starting revival. God, you have begun revival right here in the city of Memphis amongst college students. God, an incredible crowd of students tonight here to worship and hear your word. And God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to open up the heavens and pour out on this place. God, we ask for revival to begin and continue in Memphis. God, I thank you for all these college students here. God, I know that you've given me opportunities to stand up for my beliefs. And God, I know that each one of these students, you brought them here tonight to train and equip them to stand up for what they believe. God, I pray that they would use their voices for nothing else but Jesus Christ as they go out those doors. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we need you. God, be with us as we worship. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Will you please stand with me as we worship? <laughs>